Welcome to another episode of the Gospel Lifeline Podcast. My name is Neil Grogan. I'm here with Matthew Statler. And man, we got a special episode uh, intel for you guys. Why? Because we are in studio together. Woo! We're in my office in the great state of Texas. Matt's visiting. Uh, Matt used to pastor or youth pastor down here, came to visit some of the old kids and see them graduate high school, right? That's right. Yep. So he drove. How long of a drive is that? Uh, about 13, 14. It's about four and a half hours to El Paso and then nine and a half from El Paso to here. No thanks. Yeah, with four kids. But I think I traveled a little bit farther to meet you today. You did. You flew in from Turkey. Yeah, man. And the seven churches yeah, in Turkey. Yeah, I got to see the seven churches of Revelation um, discussed in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And so um, that's kind of, I think, leading us to what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. Absolutely. What was one of the first things, I guess, that struck you um, on this tour as you were going through because so so let me just make sure i understand what happened so you flew to turkey yep and the the goal was to look at all these archaeological sites all the locations of these churches mm-hmm. and you went basically from church to church and examined the area talked about it read scripture about it mm-hmm. um, and filled your heart up with mm-hmm. the um the place yeah that these these were written to yeah, so just kind of trying to imagine and picture in real time, man, what life was like um, when these different letters from Paul, because there's really kind of two time periods we are working from. Uh, the time period of Paul as on his missionary journeys throughout um, Asia Minor, uh, which is modern day Turkey today, right? And um, discussing that kind of timeline and then shifting gears to the, you know, AD 90 temple's been destroyed in 70 right and now we're in 90 John's kind of serving as the apostle over Asia Minor and uh, he's been um, exiled to the island of Patmos and man Christ uh, gives a revelation to John to record but it's Jesus's revelation about his churches and so we're talking about the establishment of these different seven churches, but we're also talking about the letter of Revelation um, kind of exposing and critiquing and commending and exhorting um, these churches by Christ himself. And so that's kind of what we were working through, but we, we didn't really just stop there in the biblical background kind of land, but we also talked about and thought thought about um, the American church today at large and then our churches um, specifically and kind of thought through like, um, man, if Christ was to, to say, I know your works, this is my church, and what would he say? Yeah, what would, we, what would we be commended for and what right. would we be chastised for? Yeah, or admonished or however you want to spin it. I think uh, I think all of us. I mean, especially us, right? Like we're we're pastors. We work with other pastors. We um, rub elbows with other pastors, and I think all of us would say really good things about the ministry, our people. Like we love our people, you know. But we also um, kind of see areas where we need to improve. And uh, or or where we're falling short in, or we're just outright failing in, or maybe we're so prideful as pastors we don't see nothing. Right. And man, the beauty of the Word of God is um, that we are laid bare before it, as it um, separates bone and marrow, right? As it soul and spirit, as it uh, uh, calls us, convicts us, leads us to confession and repentance, and so. You know, Matt and I just kind of wanted to think through the seven churches of Revelation, give some biblical background. Seems like nowadays everybody loves to talk about eschatology or the study of the end times. And man, what what moon is on the calendar today? What what's right. happening in Israel tomorrow? And everyone's predicting the what's going to happen and when is it going to happen? And 
And I think I think we lose sight of the gospel yeah. when we focus so much on what day is it going to be the return day or what day are we going to meet him in the clouds or when is it going to happen? Yeah. And we, um, I think we lose focus. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a great opportunity for us as gospel-centered people, as people who, who love Christ, to recenter on the gospel. Yeah. And my encouragement to you is as you're listening to this, um, compare yourself to some of these, these churches. Yeah. Uh, examine your heart in, in these areas. And I, and I bet you'll find, like I find, every time I read through these things, there's areas where I, I did not expect to need correction, and there's areas where I may be encouraged. Yeah. And I think you will find the same thing as you listen uh, as we work through these. Yeah, so I, I think it would be good to kind of lay out what what this series is going to be kind of about. Yeah. And then, um, by and large, what we're going to do is we're going to talk and discuss through each of these um, statements Christ makes to each of these churches, almost as like uh, different parts of this overall series. But I I think the best place to go for understanding where Christ is trying to take the church and where what we're in great expectation for is in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, the detestable and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So we have this eschatological end, right? This direction. Christ is taking us, those who are following him, his body. He is taking us to this place of restoration. Many theologians, right, Matt, call this the new creation, yep. right? So... Um, that's the direction of God's people. This is where we're headed. We're heading to restoration. So I think a uh, probably a a good kind of statement or title for this series is is restoring, right? Res- restoration of all things, yeah. and specifically in the church, right? Um, so what are we gonna analyze first, Matt? Well, I think the church in Ephesus. Because it says um, the letter to Ephesus begins the um, chapter two, mm-hmm. and so I think Ephesus will start, and then we'll go to Smyrna, mm. and then I don't know how to say Pergamum. Pergamum, you but nailed that's it. How it is? Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, or how La- did you say it? Laodicea. Laodicea. That's how the Turkish folks say it. So I don't know. Who's right? I got. I have to look at <laughs> look at some things first. So let let's kind of uh, set some parameters first as we dig into this. Okay. So each of these um, re- revelation of Christ to each of these churches, right? Is kind. There's kind of a an order to what he says. So Christ gives an intro statement about himself. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then he gives a commendation to the church. Uh, F. Uh, for side note, not all churches get a commendation, but this is the general structure for each of these. So he gives a commendation statement, then he gives a criticism. Uh, he critiques the church and then admonishes them, right? Not all churches get criticism either. 
So he ends it, though, with an exhortation or an application. Tells them to do something about uh, whether to keep going or to turn from something, right? And so that's the general structure we're going to kind of work from. And then we're also, we're going to then work through this structure textually and then kind of come to a different place of like thinking through where we see these things today in the West and in our churches and in churches in general and uh, man, where we should you know, make some adjustments, right? What, no. what could those adjustments be maybe? And how right. do we apply the gospel, right? Yep. All right. So uh, you want to read uh, Revelation chapter 2, 1 through 7? Yep, absolutely. Um, and just goes on to, first off, before we get to 2, yeah. um, we get a description uh, of the seven stars are the angels or, or um, an explanation, and then the seven churches are the seven lampstands. Yeah. So that way, when we jump in here, no one's confused. All right, so... What chapter, stars What stars am I looking for? Yeah, stars and <laughs> lampstands, and we can be confused, but he explains what they are, mm. which is very helpful in uh, Revelation, is getting an explanation <laughs> yeah, right. to what these images are. Uh, so he says, Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardship for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you, have, yet you do have this. You hate the practice, practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what do we know about Ephesus in general, Matt? What are some things you've learned about the city itself that this church has um, found itself in? Well, we know that, that Paul established this church um, and spent a lot of time not only establishing it, but maturing the believers. I think two years, yeah, right? right. Um, where he spent uh, going from house to house, it says in Acts 20, mm-hmm. uh, seeing the elders, encouraging them, building them up. He said he'd never um, shied from giving them the whole counsel of God. Yeah. And so he, um, he really poured his lifeblood into this. And two years is a long time. In the uh, time time span of uh, Paul's missionary journey, because he was strapped for time as it was yeah. before his execution. Yeah. So, so Paul invested deeply into these people. I think it's also important to know, you know, like Paul, for instance, was known as the destroyer of gods. <laughs> like right. some writers have said, uh, some ancient writers have said about Paul. So this man, he came. To Ephesus with a message, with one message. Uh, There's only one sermon recorded in Acts that Paul ever preached. He was a he had one sugar stick, (laughs) you know, as Herschel York would say. What's your sugar stick sermon, you know? Uh, And it was the gospel. He connected. um, The Messiah to the Old Testament. How we've all been looking forward to this. Messiah, this coming Messiah, that that was revealed in Jesus Christ, and that man Christ has come. He's died on the cross. He's rose again from the grave, and He set us free from the law, and um, and given us this this grace, right, to walk in and to walk in righteousness. And so we we have this beautiful message, right? And He spent His life devoted to this one message, and so He gets to Ephesus. And what he finds is that this city is wholly devoted to worshiping Artemis, this god of fertility, 
And um, in fact, this this town is seated. Um, has like a bay that leads you into the Aegean Sea, um, or it did back then. It's kind of marshland now. The earth has sifted up, so you can't. <laughs> there's no more harbor, right? But with a with a port town, right? You have what trade, yep. and so Ephesus is this rich city, this marble city, this beautiful place, and if and they built one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, which is the Temple Artemis. In fact, there's in the Temple Artemis they have these incredible columns that were. Um, taller than any other temple they were uh, there was 127 of them they had these two shrines to artemis people would come and they would um, sacrifice um, bulls to artemis they would specifically side note they would um, cut the testicles off the bulls and bring them a lot of people have have thought of artemis and these eggs the easter eggs is you know, right, right. Uh, but they were actually bull testicles, so well, um, good to know. you could set those out on Easter for your kids to find in the front yeah, yard. Well, <laughs> don't think that's gonna work. No, that would be a strange thing. So the whole city's devoted to worshiping um, Artemis, and outside of Artemis, there's this this tree they brought from Syria that they believe is the tree of life specifically which goes into play here in our text today um, Ephesus has this incredible library um, which is rare for ancient cities not all of them did have these things um, Ephesus has an incredible theater carved into the mountainside you can still see it today um, in fact the last live performance at this theater was Pavardi before he died right um, so it's it's this incredible city. It's rich. People are fat. People have money. In fact, um, out of all the excavations today, they in in the housing district, they have found one kitchen. So that tells you that they didn't cook for themselves. They had servants. There's, I mean. If I could express to you, I mean, if you have time, Google the housing excavations of Ephesus. I mean, they're all mansions. It's right. incredible um, stuff. So they, they have much, right? And the whole city is built on um, these idols, these shrines, this worship to Artemis. Um, Trajan has um, built the imperial temple to worship uh, the god whatever caesar at the time it was so the, i mean everything in the city is bent this way okay so this is the place that that paul enters into and he establishes his church so what do we first learn about christ i think that's really where we want to start and revelation 2 verse 1 we christ gives an introduction statement about himself what does he say he says thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> well, I kind of picture it, honestly, as him surveying the troops in many ways. And he's looking at these seven churches as seven lampstands. They're little lights in the world. Yep. Um, and, he, of course, it shows his power because he's holding the seven um, stars in his right hand. And he's walking along these golden lampstands, kind of examining um, their brightness, examining yeah. their gospel witness in mm. the world. And um, that sh it shows really his power uh, to judge and to remove because mm. he can close out those lights, right? He said, yeah. you're, not, you're not providing enough light, and so he can remove it. And so he's, he's examining them. And it also really harkens to uh, worship. Mm. Because if you think about something like the menorah and um, Jewish lights in right. their temple worships, you would have a similar kind of feel. And so I think it's a um, it's a it's a it's a worship thing. I think it's a show of his power, and of course his ability to um, to cast out or to yeah. turn off these lights, these mm. lampstands. Yeah, so it's this, there's a statement of power of ownership. Yeah, right? ownership. I like that. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, I think uh, one thing we hear a lot in the church is like, nothing can shut the doors of this church, caveat, except yeah. Christ himself. Except Christ. Yeah. Right. So this is the the place at which we're operating and learning uh, about the church of Ephesus specifically. It's, man, that, that Christ owns it uh, and that Christ owns your church. It's his yep. and it's for his worship. And, um, and if it's not worshiping him mm-hmm. and not being a light in the community right he's gonna shut it off oh yeah he'll remove it yeah it's better that he removes it right because right. then what are they what light are they showing that's right a false light a false yeah like <laughs> uh we have these uh advent candles side note sorry guys but we have these advent candles we use for church and Stephen bought them and they're like wax yeah and they flicker right but they're not an actual like fire yeah <laughs> yeah and he was like man they look so real don't tell anybody they're <laughs> fake so what do i do the first advent sermon i'm like yeah look at these fake candles Stephen got <laughs> right so they're either a real light or they're there's a false light right and and they're worshiping either the one true god or they're worshiping a false god and so man christ has power over he says it and then he exposes um in two ways he commends um or he critiques and in this case he does both with the church of ephesus so he commends the church but before we get to that i want to read to you um, the way the church in Ephesus was established. Okay, so Paul writes this letter to Ephesus is called Ephesians. If you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to read it. It's a beautiful work. Ephesians 4 is all about walking in righteousness, how to do that, what it looks like, you know, so super practical. It's built on the foundation that's laid through uh, Ephesians 1 through 3, right? And so in Ephesians 1, we have this statement about the church in verses 15 and 16. Paul says this about the church in Ephesus. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So before this is in his beginning, right, in his intro, before uh, he starts, you know, telling them what what the deal is, right? He says this about them: you love, you're known for your faith and your love. Love for who? Each other. Each other. You yeah. love one another. You have strong ties with one another. So this is an important. This is the way this church. This is what they were known for out the gate. Paul spent all this time in Ephesus establishing love and relationship. Yeah. And this is what he even writes this letter back to them, reminding them of this again. I mean, the elders cried tears over him when, yeah. he, when he left. Yeah. I mean, they, they shed tears. together. You, you really love someone when you have that relationship. Oh, deep, strong, yeah. strong, beautiful ties with one another. But here um, in Revelation 2, we learn some things. So it's starting in verses 2. Jesus says, I know your works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let that settle, right? I mean, he knows your works. Yep. On a personal level, he knows your church's works uh, intimately because it's his, right? So he says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. Let's stop there. So he commends them for a few things. Matt, you want to lay out? Yeah, they're a hardworking church. I mean, they're they're enduring um, mm-hmm. the suffering that they're experiencing. Yep, they um, they're committed to being um, successful. I mean, honestly, yeah. it seems like they're really toiling and laboring mm-hmm. uh, for the ministry for whatever it is that their um, their goal is, and they're even working at um, 
exposing some of these false people. They're testing them, mm-hmm. and they're examining people who call themselves apostles and are not. Yeah. Uh, and these evil people, right? People who have tried to sneak in, probably um, similar to the Judaizers that you read about mm-hmm. in other passages or um, other letters. Mm-hmm. And so these guys are really discerning. Um, yeah. They would be they would be well known for their discernment, uh, their careful labor over scriptures, and their um, their success maybe on an outward level and even inward um, in preserving the purity of the church yeah and so that's what it seems like they um if you were just to read about this you'd be like this is a good church yeah they're discerning they're making sure that uh corrupt people don't sneak in yeah and they're exposing um false prophets yeah wolves right they're like that ain't a sheep that's a wolf Uh, they're maintaining sound doctrine um i think that's probably the best way to say it they're they're uh, committed to maintaining sound doctrine, and they haven't grown weary. Yeah, they're they're just really dedicated to doing this. It fires them up. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they it burns in their chest. It seems like right. Um, so man, they're commended for this. And so if you're listening in your church and you're thinking about your church, and you're saying, "Man, my church is committed to the Word of God." We love preaching it. We love teaching it. We love learning it. We want to hear and obey. My uh, pastor toils a long, long time on the word. Yeah, the preaching of the word. Or maybe, uh, maybe someone introduced some curriculum. Yeah. And man, the church labored over that before they put it in place, and they found it to be lacking. That it wasn't teaching a full picture of who God is or what the gospel may be or deviated from the gospel. And they said, no, we can't. We can't teach this to the body. It's no good, right? Like they're committed to truth. Or they're even warning their body about these teachers that may be false. Yeah. Uh, They may be calling out false prophets. They may be calling out um, the bad curriculum. They may go through the curriculum and say these people are not good teachers they're missing mm. the gospel somewhere yeah I would even think, if they're popular yeah so i i would say probably the number one false gospel that conservative churches in the west are trying to refute is the health and wealth gospel right yep. the prosperity gospel the prosperity gospel says that if you have enough faith or you give enough of your resources then God essentially owes you wealth. He owes you health um, and and whatever the desires of your heart are, right? Almost as if God's an ATM or a genie. And so, man, many, uh, many pastors, I mean, me included, you included, right? We refute this belief system, this false gospel. We don't want our people to get entrapped by it. Man, God does not show his love for you by empowering you to buy a BMW. Like right. that adds nothing to you and your salvation. Is it wrong to have a BMW? No. But if you're talking about, man, this is because I put this money in the bucket, I got out of BMW. If that's what you're propagating, you're propagating a false gospel. And so we're, man, we see many ministers of the word and many congregations passionate about you know, refuting these things. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Uh, one, you know, we're uh, well. I guess you're not, but I'm a Southern Baptist pastor. You're a um, conservative conservative Baptist. Baptist pastor. But one one thing that we're on um, conventionally on the same level with uh, specifically is um, not affirming women as preachers. We don't see that in Scripture. In fact, we see. Um, it, it's spoken against, yep. right? And so um, that right now is is buzzing yep. across everywhere, specifically. So many uh, churches are trying to push that agenda, and so there's others in the faith or uh, who are saying, "Man, this is in an accordance with God's word. This is not good. Doesn't mean." that women are not valued and there's not ministry and there's not even a proclamation of the gospel to be done by them. But, but God has a, a design for that specifically. And that's the best, that's the best that could happen is within his design. Right. But 
it seems like there are some who are, you know, holding fast to sound doctrine, but they're doing it in a way that is ugly. Yep. Is that fair? I think that's very fair. Okay, so now let's move to the criticism statement for the church in Ephesus. So if they're known for love when they were established. Yep. Fast forward 45, 55 years. What are they? What is Christ hold against them today? He says in verse 4, But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Mm. So he says, you have abandoned the love you had at first. Yep. That's really the critique, right? It's like they they were so careful with their discernment enduring these hardships that they neglected the um, the compassion Mm. that they had with one another. They got hardened a little bit Mm. Um, after maybe getting hurt a lot of times. Maybe some of them uh, trusted in some of these false uh, apostles here. Or maybe they, um, maybe some of these people that they tested, these evil people, um, were friends at first. And then they Mm. turned out to be corrupt. And so now they're hardened against anyone and everyone. And maybe they're not showing the same compassion that they had 30 years, 40 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, man. If you were known for the way you had relationships with one, well, the way you, the love you had, the compassion you had, the way you cared for one another, and then you got into some battlegrounds, right? Yeah. This is what it seems like. There's been some 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 wars that have been fought over truth. Yeah, and uh, they're good, they're good good, good wars, right? Yeah. Good battles, neat necessary ones. Yep, but. To your point, right, you said, man, it seems like they've grown hardened towards yeah. one another. Man, could you imagine being in a church? <laughs> this is kind of sarcastic because uh, I, yeah, we've experienced this. But could you imagine being in a church where, man, you just, other church members just didn't love one another? They didn't show up. They didn't care for, hypercritical, uh, gossipy, slandery. You know, um, backbiting. Right. And they may they may even claim to be discerning. Yeah. Right. And they may have put on airs. And, and there may be. I mean, the, this is the difficult thing is I think we've all run across this where there's a, a desire to be pure, a desire to be Bereans. I think that yeah. gets thrown around a lot. But in that desire, they lose tr- they lose count of people. And sometimes someone's false idea has a person behind it. And if you immediately call them a heretic and excommunicate them, you haven't won your brother if they are a brother, mm. right? And we have to be careful, I think. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think we don't always do this well. I think we do this um, publicly sometimes mm. um, where we're just calling out this person and that one. And we're, um, some of the, the most viewed YouTube videos in my uh, in my YouTube ministry with the church, has when I say something about false prophets, even though I'm talking about a biblical text and Peter, right. I'm not calling anybody out. So don't go there googling uh, <laughs> what, what I'm saying. But I'm not calling anybody out. But just because I have something about exposed false prophets, yeah. everyone's just flocking to view it yeah. to see if I'm gonna who I'm gonna expose. Yeah. And I'm not doing that. I'm just ex, you know expositing the scripture here. Mm-hmm. But why is it that that draws us um, our attention? <laughs> you know that meme uh, of Michael Jackson in the music video thriller, and he's sitting in the movie theater eating popcorn. Yeah, yeah. It's like I'm here for the po- I'm here for the show. You know, here. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, man. We we were like taking bets. And who's going to win? Oh, you're going to go uh, confront the pastor? You know, right. ooh. Yeah. What are you going to say? <laughs> you're going to call him out. It's going to be good. Yeah. And, and you know, this is the thing. is like these people are laboring. I mean, these people are working for the yeah. good of the church. I think we see this in some of our um, um, hardened older pastors who mm-hmm. have served a church for a really long time, and they have been bitten mm-hmm. um, by the sheep. Yeah. And they have been bitten, and they've been fighting battles 
that maybe they don't have to fight anymore, but they're still looking for a battle to fight. They have their armor on and they have the sword and they're still ready to fight a battle, mm. but the, the battleground has shifted and now they should be laying down and plowing and, and growing a field. Right. But instead of that, they're still looking for a battle, which reminds me of you know Don Quixote and yeah. um, how he would... Uh, go after the windmills thinking they're dragons. Yeah. Right? He gets his lance and he starts riding towards these windmills and he's going to take them down. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're just windmills. Yeah. And I think we do that. Um, we can do that. Yeah. But this is what's scary to me about this passage is he says, um, otherwise I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Uh, Love is very serious, enough to make you not a church at all. Yeah. If you think about it. Yeah, Christ like, will shut your doors. I will shut you down. Yeah. I will remove the lampstand. Yeah. Uh, I'm the light. I'm Christ the, is the light. That's right. And he's like, I would, I would just, <laughs> I would change. Yeah. You know, I, I uh, you know, both of us work with a lot of folks who, um, have church hurt, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I think if I was if I was to whittle it all down, like where is this rooted in? And it's in this. It's in this issue of love. When a church has decided within itself that they're committed to truth, but not in loving the person they're communicating the truth to, um, they're just they're just wielding a, a broadsword, right? And, uh, man, there's collateral damage. They're hitting people they don't intend to hit. There's so much weight behind it, you yeah. know, they can't really control it. And so they're just they're just whacking everything down, you know. And people leave the church outright uh, over that. And, and it, it stirs up in your sinful heart this self-righteousness. I know the truth. Yeah. And they were never of, of us, Yeah, what a lot of people will say. Mm-hmm. They departed from us because they're not of us. Yep. Um, and it sounds or, scriptural. Or any, a, truth is worthy to be divisive over. Right. Well, yeah, these are. this is true. These but things use, are true. Use a scalpel, not a broadsword. Absolutely. You know? Work with precision. Precision. And yep. I've heard people say things like, man, everybody wants to, you know, charge someone else up or, you know, confront over these things when no one wants to be confronted over sure. these things but that's not necessarily true right the issue is when we confront from a place other than love yeah. when we confront from a place other than love our words burn forests down yep. and they wreck relationships and people walk away yep. over these things um, so we have this church in Ephesus known for love who has gone through some wars uh, over truth and they have hardened themselves towards one another and they're probably their city. And uh, in that, man, they have ruined their their witness almost. And Christ is saying, man, if you don't turn now, um, I'm going to move my light. You know, um, I was thinking about... Uh, specifically, it doesn't give us a timer. Okay. <laughs> I was I was thinking uh, specifically about this idea of repentance and this idea of turning back towards love, and it, it made me think of the Shema. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so we have this this declaration that Israel would recite, that Christians would recite. We believe in it today. Christ says it this way, you know. Love your, he says it again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So these are the greatest commandments. And so, man, we cannot, and this is what I think is key here. I think the church in Ephesus loves the Lord their God, believes in him rightly, Mm -hmm. but they have departed from loving their neighbor as themselves. And we as churches, man, we cannot depart from this. This is a natural fruit of loving our God. And so 
man, when Christ says, I know your works and he exposes us, we need to think through what our love of God actually looks like and why that's not extending to one another on a horizontal level. I think I've heard this translated, um, you have abandoned your first love. Mm. Um, And I think that this translation uh, in the ESV also has the same translation gets it right. It says you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Mm. And I think that's, that's really key because you abandon your first love. Well, obviously the first love is Christ. Yeah. He's not saying you've abandoned Christ. He's saying you've abandoned the love for each other. One another. Yeah. So I I really do think that this really is the essence of what's going on here. Yeah. Um, because he even says that you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And then finally, in verse 7, he says, Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And I, I think a lot of people listening um, may just be like, that's not a problem for me, and just keep on skipping down the road, <laughs> right? And um, I hope the Spirit does convict you if you mm. are that person. Uh, and a lot of churches will say, well, I'm just being discerning, and I don't, I don't care what you have to say, and, yeah. and we'll let the Spirit sort that out. And then it says, to the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Mm. And Neil, you had some interesting perspective on this. Um, When I just read it, automatically I'm thinking Garden of Eden, and then Mm. further down in Revelation when it talks about the tree of life, and you'll have access to it in the new heavens and the new earth. Yeah. But you had something um, interesting about this tree of life. Yeah, so specifically in Ephesus, outside of the temple Artemis, which is famous in the whole world, um, there is this tree um, that was from Syria that was known as the tree of life. And it, it's a it's a pretty new, it's more, I guess, more new uh, archaeological find because they found the wood. And they found where it came from. They found some writings and and whatnot. So um, this is a newer, I guess, um, angle. All right. So in that, there's this belief in the city that this tree uh, is this first tree, this good tree. And it's in a lot of different um, uh, mythologies and belief systems of ancient times. There's always this like tree of life, right? And if you remember Eden, right? There's this knowledge tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there's this tree of life. And so when Adam and Eve eat of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they're removed yeah. um, so that they cannot eat of this tree of life and be condemned in sin for eternity. Yeah. So we would all experience the second death. which is what he goes to next right but so there's this there's this very intimate thing going on with jesus and he's saying things like um i know your works right you were a church of love and now you're a church of what's the opposite of compassion right Right. (laughs) like um hostility hostility yeah. yeah you're you're not a church of love you're a church of hostility um, you've you've walked away from the things that were most important, um, and not only that, man. Um, this this tree of life that your whole city's looking towards, right? For those of you who conquer, for those of you who repent, I will give you the legit tree of life. That's right. Because remember, there's Gentiles in this place. There's Roman Christians here. Uh, Christians of Ephesus, not Jew, not simply Jewish Christians, especially by the time of 90 yeah. uh, AD. So, man, there's this tree of life you grew up knowing about with the Temple Artemis. Man, I have the the only tree of life, and that comes from what? Like, what brings us to the tree of life? Man, it's, it's faith in Jesus. Yeah. It's loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And loving your neighbor as yourself, that's your application here. Go back to loving your neighbor and you will conquer. And when you conquer, you know what your end is? I will grant you the the ability to eat from this in the paradise of God, the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth. What I will restore your love. 
Yeah. Right. Which is what I think this is. This is the statement for this church. It's a restoration of love. Christ is calling the church of Ephesus to a restorative love. And I think there's evidence of repentance. Mm -hmm. You know, Matt, I was walking outside the city and I, we came into this great basilica from the third and fourth century and fifth century, um, where the council of Ephesus occurred in 439, I believe AD, um, where we got the, uh, that Mary was the mother of Jesus, God. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but what was, was striking to me specifically, wasn't all that, that junk. It was outside where they would enter into the sanctuary. There was this baptismal, this deep baptismal. And it had crosses and marble all the way around. And uh, they're not all there anymore because of when uh, (laughs) the Crusades, um, the last crusade where they sacked Constantinople because they got upset. They also sacked much of this in the church Mm -hmm. of Ephesus. But so you have these beautiful marble crosses around this deep baptismal built to immerse new converts. Right. Not to sprinkle, not to <laughs> not to do anything else. Not for babies deep, like a hot tub deep. <laughs> <laughs> and I just looked at it and I just couldn't help but think like what a marker of newness of life Yeah. that man, they heard this read in their house church, you know, there was no building at this time. And man, I think it propelled them to repentance yeah. and they began to love one another again. And, um, uh, there's evidence of that in, in the new conversions and the stability of that church throughout, throughout time. And so, um, I think there was some repentance. That city is, it lies in ruins today, right? Yeah. Uh, partly because the AGNC moved, moved out. Yeah. Right. So, um, there's no more Harbor. There's no more life coming from the market. Um, but what we know is that, um, man, Christ did not move his, move this lampstand um, at that time, and it went on for centuries longer. And uh, when he did move it, um, it, it, it's okay, right? It's his. But, you know, I think also you can't help but to think, right, Matt, that and we believe upon Jesus Christ today. Because of those believers, then they went out with this gospel, this sound doctrine they wouldn't let go of. Yep. And I mean, you have Timothy there, preach sound doctrine, son. Yeah, you know, like that's that's his Paul. What Paul instructed of him, the elders met Paul and Miletus weeping yeah. as he left forever, never to see them again. But Paul confident that he had proclaimed to them the whole counsel of God and he had he had walked with them the right way mm-hmm. and uh, man this church propelled years and years forward after even this revelatory letter was read to them so let's kind of bring it bring it home here to our churches and to our people into what we see in the West. Yeah. Where have we seen the church depart from being a church of love and embracing a church of hostility? And as we, I believe, we're going to face um, social persecution in the coming years. Yeah. Um, why is this principle so vital for us going forward? I think it kind of is the the drunk man on a horse syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. Like the drunk man on a horse will lean far to one side and almost fall off, and then gets corrected and then falls off on the other side, right? It's or um, getting into two 
two ditches, right? You have yeah. a ditch on either side. And it's easy to fight for sound doctrine and do it without love. Mm. To speak the truth, but don't speak the truth with love. On the other hand, sometimes it's easy to love and not seek the truth or mm. speak the truth. Yeah. And so we have the command here to do both. Yep. To endure hardship for the sake of Christ's name. Uh, not to grow weary and to be discerning and to test those who call themselves apostles but are not. Uh, avoid the evil lies of certain people. Um, by the same token, still show love. Mm. Uh, and I think as we experience, at least in the West, uh, more persecution, I think we'll realize that the only way that this is going to, um, that we're, we're going to honor Christ properly is with love. Mm. And by loving each other, and of course holding to the truth, we can't be, we can't be surrounded around um, non-truth. We right. have to be around the truth. Right. But doing so with love, and I think our love for each other uh, will be evident mm. uh, as we go into persecution or whatever uh, God has in store for us. Mm. Yeah, that's what makes the light shine so bright. Right. That's yeah. the saltiness of salt and the. Uh, the city on the hill that everyone can see, they're known by their works and they've known whether or not they love their community, um, that they love one another, and that they love Jesus supreme above all, right? So that's our exhortation to you. If you have found yourself hardened, repent. Yeah. Turn from that sin. Change. Change direction. Love again. Open yourself up to one another and uh, begin to walk with one another because we desperately need each other, right? Uh, we were not created for isolation, but for relationship. And man, Christ's atoning work on the cross, Christ's blood is what unites us. And so we need to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and um, pursue authentic relationships with one another and to carry the mission of God out the sound doctrine out. Um, but if we don't love one another and love God, then we will we will turn turn into hermits and find ourselves in the wilderness, right? So um, Christ alone restores love. And so that's where we want to leave you today. Um, we're going to pick up next podcast with the church of smyrna which there's some um some real persecution i think that'll be good some some names to drop like polycarp that we might think about uh but man we're excited for that and uh until next next time thanks for listening <laughs>